Hey, listeners, before we get started, if you're enjoying these episodes, you can actually check them out on YouTube in full video. You can just search Honest Ecommerce and you'll get pulled right to our channel. Make sure you subscribe and ring the bell for all the updates. If you're looking to grow, don't ignore distribution channels such as other marketplaces. Welcome to Honest Ecommerce, a podcast dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer, and I believe running a direct-to-consumer brand does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. On this podcast, we interview founders and experts who are putting in the work and creating real results. I also share my own insights from running our top Shopify consultancy, Electric Eye. We cut the fluff in favor of facts to help you grow your e-commerce business. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Honesty Commerce. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. Today, I'm welcoming the show the Managing Director at Deloitte Digital, one of the leaders of the largest commerce practices in North America, Paul DeForno. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, real excited to be here. Yeah. And then just because it's on trend for me, when I do have another uh, Ohio in here, uh, you know, another Buckeye, I just got to shout it out that Ohio is where it's happening. Yeah. It's amazing, actually, the the amount of ties to the his- history of commerce and all the different connections. You, you know, Ohio's theme is the heart of it all. But really, if you think about it, where are the commerce heart of it all between the fulfillment, retail, startups, that that are around in Ohio, you would be amazed. You know, this wasn't even something we talked about in the pre-show, but let's dive in there. Uh, first, maybe let's just give them uh, a little bit of your background and your history. There, you've uh, been around, you know, this e-commerce game quite a while, and you've seen a few few things. Yeah, I guess I'm the, I'm the old guy in uh, e-commerce, so I, I've been doing uh, digital and web. I, I worked on some of the first websites back in '94 and '95. And I've been doing e-commerce specifically for the last 20 years. So I've kind of seen this whole arc. And what's funny is I, I remember in the early 2000s going to talk to retailers and the way they even thought about e-commerce, it was like, oh, it's just like a play thing off to the side, right? And sometimes they would just talk about it like it was you know, store number 999, that they would treat it like literally it's like, like a side business, but it would never become important. And so I've kind of gone through that whole hype cycle to to where I we've almost it, during COVID it almost went to the other side where everything was going to be uh, e-commerce, but w- we know it, it didn't. So it, it's been very interesting that that path to see all the different technologies, all the different permutations of what's happened. Oh, absolutely. It's there's been a lot of interesting th- things that happened just even in the, the last couple of years with e-commerce, not to mention the last 20 years. So, uh take me back, you know, are there any notable projects uh that you're allowed to talk about yeah. uh that you'd worked on in kind of e-commerce and kind of the challenges that you had to solve for back then when Shopify didn't exist, you know? None of these like easy plug-and-play solutions existed. Yeah, l- let me give a little bit of background on some of the technology because even though um, on the enterprise side, there's a whole history of products. Actually, some of the first commerce uh, packages came out of Germany, Innershop. Innershop is like one of the earliest, you know, mid to late 90s where it started. And little known fact that Innershop was also the, the start of Demandware. So they it, Demandware merged off of Innershop back about 15 years ago took the code and made it a SaaS version. 
right? And, and in fact, Intershop also, uh, you know, broke off and then a couple of other major companies have used it internally. So it's historically one of the oldest commerce platforms that's been out there. But, you know, some of the other big players, IBM uh, built, you know, one of the first big Java application servers and uh, WebSphere commerce, again, for a, a long time, some of the largest retailers use them and still use use them as their core. It's one of the highest use. And, and then a, a couple of other ones. Interestingly, there's a couple of companies, again, going back to this Germany, there's a lot of commerce platforms that have come out of Germany. So Hybris is what SAP bought, right? And again, in the enterprise side, it's probably one of the largest market shares in both B2C and, and B2B. And so if you go back the last 20 years between Intershop, IBM, Oracle, who bought ATG, again, one of the you know largest at, at one point, it's been very cyclical and have had been basically worked through some of the technologies. So stepping back, like you talked about one of the challenges, right? We are so spoiled these days that you hit a button and you create an instance, right? You know, I can remember we were working with, in fact, you know, the title, again, we're both here in Columbus, Ohio. I was doing some work at a Victoria's Secret uh, back uh, 2006-ish. And they were thinking about, they were custom build, but remember, they physically had their servers. And so if they wanted to, mig they were thinking about migrating to this new a platform called Demandware back in the day, you physically had to like go buy the servers. And so we were, you know, some of you was pitching these ideas and, and to go out and it was going to take six months just to get the servers to be able to just install and build, right? Because of all of the, it, at the time, interestingly, uh, Victoria's Secret was like in the top 10 of internet retail sites, relatively speaking. You know, if you look now, it's the, you know, Amazons, Walmarts, you know, some of the largest retailers up there. But at that time, they were one of the, the leaders in the space. And, and so it's just interesting, like to go back where you had to like put in and think about physically getting the hardware and, and stacking it in. So the whole, this whole, AWS cloudification and SaaS space just completely changed the game. Oh yeah, it, it, honestly, it makes everything so much easier. You can, you know, spin up a site, you know, with the many of the SaaS solutions that Shopify specifically. You press a button, you got a site. Is it good? Will it convert? Who knows? But like, you do have a site that's infinitely easier than the almost physical, demanding work of of doing this back in the day. Um, so, uh, are there any other uh, projects that you remember working on uh, historically uh, that kind of bring up some of this history of e-commerce? Yeah, probably one of the biggest implementations ever uh, that I was part of, and it was one of the biggest commerce implementations over the last fifteen years is. If you go back to 2009 and 2010, Target was actually hosted on Amazon. Not just their core commerce, but their fulfillment, their call center. It was completely on Amazon technology. So at the time, Target was way bigger than Amazon, right? It's crazy to think about it now. You know, Amazon's one of the largest companies in the world and Target's doing great, but Target was better and they realized, oh crap. 
these guys are going to be bigger than us and they're going to be competitors. So they have to get them off. And so they were negotiating deal and we came in and I was able, I had actually had some experience in helping borders get off of Amazon prior to that, just before they did uh, go away. But uh, to, in order to do that, it was a massive change. We had uh, five at, at its peak, we had 500 developers working um, for a couple of years to, to get all these chain, all, all the change into this new platforms. Right. And, and, and a lot of it is like, again, new, you know, some of, again, during that time, still, there wasn't cloud capabilities, right? Like you were still having the physical, getting the hardware going, you know, being able to uh, stack that, worrying about order management, uh, supply chain integrations, warehouses. And, and in, in order to like build all that out, it was just, the scale was just massive. But like, if you think about it, can you imagine uh, Target having a differentiated experience if they hadn't got off of Amazon, right? Or Amazon's owning, having all that data on the Target customers. So that, that was a, a great experience going through that. Absolutely. I remember you sharing that with me before and it's definitely eye-opening, especially back then. These days, it's obvious to us that like you need to own your experience, you need to own your data. But it, you know, a lot of the sharpest minds at these businesses didn't have that foresight because it wasn't something that was in kind of the zeitgeist yet. You didn't know. Yeah. In fact, in... in we didn't do this work. I know they've done a lot of this internally. A lot of these large corporations have, they can invest to have, uh, you know, custom build some of this work. And and so if you look at Target, the way they've executed over the last couple of years, they're one of the best at the, uh, from a delivery perspective, their numbers as far as how they deliver out of their stores is phenomenal. They, I forget the exact numbers, but somewhere in the neighborhood of, 60 to 70% fulfillment happens via stores, which if you go to Target ever, I don't ever see anybody picking, right, from stores that they can fulfill and they and the way they've done that. Whereas, you know, you might go to, a, if you go to some of the gro- grocery stores, like you see Amazon people picking, right, like all, all over the place. And so for them to be able to do, you know, buy online, pick up in store or, or, or deliver from store at the rate that they did was just phenomenal. Yeah, and, and some of what you're uh, speaking to now is some of the innovations that were thrust upon the market uh, during the pandemic. Um, so you know, I guess we can naturally just transition into that conversation. Uh, you were sharing with me before some numbers, and and I'll actually admit that I've been guilty of saying this on this very show about just the rise of the market, the penetration of e-commerce versus the, you know the national spend. Uh, but I'll let you kind of shine some new light on what's actually going on since things have kind of uh, evolved even since then. Yeah. So one thing I, I for sure want to dis- dispel one myth, I, and I think it's still posted in some places up there, you know, early in, in the summer of 2020, you saw things, you know, 10 years of, of acceleration in e-commerce in a couple months. Well, you know, it's factually not correct. And, and some of it gets into really just looking at how numbers, taking one number from one source, another number from another source and and merging them together. It really gets into some stuff like that, but they leverage it for a narrative, right? But 
if you look at the actual numbers, and I always try and reference U.S. Census Bureau, right? Because that that is the they are the guardians of the retail, and it gets a little complicated. But the big picture was that there was a jump during COVID, as you would expect, on the penetration. And if if we just take the total retail, it it jumped up to like sixteen percent, you know, seventeen percent uh, of overall retail, and then. Uh, it, it fell back to a median closer to around 14%. And that's if you still include gasoline, et cetera. But the net net uh, of the pattern was there was a huge jump, but it actually fell back to the mean, meaning it actually is at the same growth potential of what it was before. So if you look at the past 15 years growth trajectory, you're, we're almost exactly back to what the original trajectory was uh, before. So that that that's that's an important thing. That again, it doesn't mean commerce isn't important, right? Like it just means that each category of of different products they're going to find their natural mean. Like if you look at like electronics, for ex- example, they have a high distribution of selling online, right? Whereas apparel is only going to hit a certain amount, right? There's certain products that are more apt to be sold online and over time will hit will hit what the natural mix between online and, uh, you know, live shopping. Because for sure, you know, retail and selling has been around for hundreds of thousands of years. They're not going away, right? And so part of what you need to do is figure out what is the unique value that you can drive that that will uh, you know connect with your customer? Absolutely, and there's something else to that kind of that trend is when you did see that jump in uh, sales. Essentially, is what it comes down to during the pandemic. Um, I think that something that a lot of brands they got used to that growth, you know, the rapid growth, and they didn't. You know they weren't as prepared for it to go away and weren't as accepting of it. I, I I've talked to numerous merchants where they were like, "We're down from last year. Like, what are we doing?" And I'm like, "That's just that's just what it it is. There's nothing you're doing wrong. You're doing everything right. It's just like the market isn't spending online as it was." Yeah. So I think there's a couple things. There's there's one. There's the natural regression to the mean, which means actually, if you look many companies have actually done like two-year lookbacks, right? Because if you do two-year mm-hmm. lookbacks, like 65% growth over two years is is amazing. So if you only have a couple percent this this past year, it's not that bad in, in overall context. But I think the challenge that uh, e-commerce online sellers have to think about is there's other things that are happening now. Obviously, because this combo of challenges right now one, if you look at inflation, right? You know, the latest stats say inflation in the US is up eight and a half percent over last year. That's a massive, that's the highest in you know close to 40 years. So that's gonna impact your buying, right? And we do a uh, part of our retail group, we do a lot of research a- a- around what those impacts are. And really what you're seeing is this bifurcation. Right, we we saw this in years gone by, but it's getting worse and worse. Meaning, actually, at their highest end on luxury, they're doing unbelievably well. In fact, they're doing much more. But if you have products at the lower end, 
right? You're what you're seeing is both either you're getting pushed to people are on the luxury that are buying like crazy, or at the lowest end uh, of of purchasing power is actually decreasing. So if you have a segment down on the you know the lower end, they don't have as much to spend, especially given the gas impacts and all of these inflations. And so you you take that plus the supply chain challenges plus what Ukraine hit, you know plus. Uh, what tried and true being able to access a lot of this first party data that, or some party data that used to get from because of Apple and on Facebook, it's a massive change, right? And so what that's really exposing are who are the real retailers that know how to connect with their customer and align their product versus who were people who were taking advantage of an arbitrage. Absolutely. Now, one thing that I think I skimmed over at the beginning because we just dived right into it is kind of let people what what is Deloitte Digital and what do they do? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so De- Deloitte Digital is I think you kind of mentioned it. We are one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, commerce service provider. You know, we're the largest professional services firm in the world. But Deloitte Digital is one unit within that, and so you know we're partners with Salesforce, SAP, Adobe, Shopify, um, a lot of different partners, some of the largest partners for some of these. And so we have five or six studios uh, across North America, and we help everything from strategy, design, development to operate, you know, big, large enterprise websites. And, you know, we help right now five of the top 10 internet retailers we can't talk about those names, but like a few of the names that we can share are, you know, we're working with Chipotle, Lululemon, um, and, and uh, Casey's stores. And so a lot of brands in the past, uh, I've led, uh, you know, Foot Locker. Um, and, and that would be the whole, everything from design, order management, implementation of platforms, rolling out and, and uh, you know, driving out those changes. Uh, yeah. So, what are some of the challenges that hit brands at that scale? Like, enterprise is such a different ball game than a lot of the SMBs that you know might be listening to the show. So, uh, the big challenge that you have it, with lo- lots of large enterprises, one, especially when they have existing business, how do you run your existing business and then you you know migrate? Like, you know, in the instance of you know Full Locker, they were on when we helped them. They were on 15-year-old technology and they needed to get off of it because it was close to end of life. So how do you help them transition, right, while they're running the business? And so the uh, one of the challenges that you, you necessarily don't have when you're running your, your own small company is you might have hundreds or thousands of people that you need to coordinate with. And so that whole change management and getting aligned and getting the people all the things that you need to coordinate, it, that ends up being one of the biggest fee- changes or differences. It's the people change piece of it. Yeah, absolutely. Just getting uh, all incentives aligned and even just timing aligned on, on some of these. Yeah. And and also when you get into, well, hey, we, we also have another division there that we acquired. They have another different ERP. You, We have five or six different back office systems. We have different order management systems. Well, we have to make sure that this is routing to different distribution. Uh, and so it gets, when you start to get into it, it gets unbelievably complicated. And so to break 
break all that down in a large program, it really takes a lot to kind of break out. And and really what we've done is, is done large scale program agile delivery, right? To be able to do that. So, you know, no longer, and I, and it's been a long time since we've got into this big waterfall approach, right? Uh, r- really what we get into is kind of a modified hybrid agile where we might prove out some architecture, do some, uh, you know, proof of concept up front, then get into a more quick delivery schedule where we really help people get out. But I can't overemphasize how complicated and, you know, focusing on the change management across all of that and the training needed when you do, you know, prior to going live and going live. Yeah. And, and not to mention it, brands don't hit that enterprise level scale without having some solid systems in place and getting those systems to talk to each other and then to talk to new systems as you're solving for the future uh, is a lot of strategic undertaking. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, And what you see too is people will get into like what's perfect versus, you know, what's good enough, right? And, and, And what we've tried to do as we've gone through this is like, you know, slowly roll out stuff and get into instead of doing a big bang, cut over to, you know, a new program, maybe, you know, do a find a, a subsector of their uh, either brand or audience that you can test out with without switching everybody over, get all the kinks out, get the training out and then really rolling all of that stuff out, right? Like that that's it, it becomes like not as easy. Hey, we can just, you know, quick and change and every in and, and the funny part too is you get in a lot of like when you're dealing with just a couple of owners, you know how hard sometimes it is just to get them to agree. Well imagine different countries and global and all the impacts around the world and all the different you know priorities of different uh, senior people, and so we get into a, a, a lot of that, and, and that that's re- really what ends up being the tech part ends up being the easiest of everything of all the stuff. To be honest, it's it's actually the, the the alignment of strategy and the change management is the toughest. Yeah, it, just uh, communication and people skills, the soft skills. It, 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 what's I would say a major difference between uh, small small businesses and you know enterprise is. When you're working with small business, it's usually the founder is the buyer, is the decision maker, is the guy writing or gal writing the check. Now, when you get to enterprise, all three of those are different positions that are C-suite level. That would be a good, great case. Many times, <laughs> it's like each of those areas, you might have a group or a committee and right, and they might be different committees by country, different committees by brand. So when you start to get into, you know, well, we got 10 brands to go and we got... 10 countries, you know, it gets to be a little crazy. So let's shift gears a little bit here. And this is something that you're super passionate about is like, obviously, we've been talking a lot today about direct to consumer, and just the opportunity in the market and how things have kind of changed there over the past, you know, 20 years. You're super excited about the opportunities coming to the B2B market. So quickly highlight kind of some of that opportunity that you see and what do you think people are going to be working on for the next couple of years? Yeah. So as big as uh, B2C is, I think the latest stats is the last running four quarters were very close to hitting a trillion dollars here in the US on a B2C basis uh, based on the US Census Bureau. Just to give you a sense of how big 
from uh, last year, the latest numbers that are out there for B2B, the estimated amount in B2B commerce last year was like 2.6 trillion. Um, and, and so it's, it's almost two and a half times as big. And the opportunity there, like if you look at all B2B payments, it's around 18 trillion. And so right now, if you look at that, B2B commerce plus EDI is actually one of the largest chunks. So about 50% of that is either done via EDI plus B2B. So there's a huge movement of being able to, you know, migrate what traditionally the first iteration of being able to buy. So if you if you think about like if you're at Walmart, most of their customers that they're buying and selling are, are selling transacting via EDI, which is you know, a very, it's a 40 year old, like pre-internet, they literally had their own uh, network that you had to set up in the orders. And it was revolutionary back in the day, but now it's like higher costs to serve. And so what B2B is opening up, and especially as you're looking at opportunities, it's being able to connect. And when I talk about B2B commerce, I also include kind of marketplaces. And marketplaces, if you look at last year, they were grew at a factor of seven times the size of B2B commerce. And so there's unbelievable amount of uh, marketplaces, more than just obviously Amazon is killing it in on the marketplace side for business, but all of these other uh, vertical marketplaces. So for example, there's a fair.com, which helps to small DTC uh, sellers can sell their product to different retail out to, if you look at more industrials, they're, there's, they're coming out with things such as chemical marketplaces where you can buy chemicals to help, you know, mold plastics, et cetera, or even like how, how to actually serve up different products. So anyways, that's actually what's been a laggard. If you look back at the beginning of 2020, they actually had a hit because what happened was a lot of manufacturers pulled back and said, oh, we're not sure what's going to happen. and then when they understood, you know, a few months into it that the there's going to be massive demand, uh, you know, chunk up, they've been catching up. And so right now, B2B is on a higher growth trajectory than uh, B2C. Oh, yeah, that's that's super interesting. Now, is there anything I forgot to ask you about today that you think might resonate with our audience? If I think about the suggestion, again, coming from some of the truths that I've seen from it, from an e-commerce perspective, I says some things that are kind of important no matter what. I think you do a little bit of a takeaway, right? Like one, focus on your product, make it unique and understand your customer. So get your data. So if you don't have good data on your customer, look for ways to get it. Uh, and if you're looking to grow, don't ignore distribution channels such as other marketplaces, Hey, what, one of the things that, uh, for example, and I know we're talking a lot about Target again, but they have a great onboarding of new brands. If you can get distribution into uh, Target, that's amazing. But don't also ignore the marketplaces. A lot of companies sell tons on Amazon, right? But there's all these new marketplaces that are out there that are coming out from, if you look at uh, Kroger has one a massive marketplace that's grown out to even Macy's is going to be deploying a, a marketplace for third-party sellers. And so there's probably about 
50 to 60 major marketplaces in North America. And so you got to get creative and not just selling in one channel. Think about all the different ways that you can sell, but focus primarily on what your value add is. Absolutely. That's that's amazing advice. Paul, I can't thank you for coming on the show enough. Um, if, if the audience is curious, how do they get a hold of you? I share a lot on Twitter. Uh, so Deforno P. Uh, follow me there and I, I can share or hit me up on LinkedIn. Absolutely. I'll make sure to put both of those in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on today, Paul. All right. I can't thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing their knowledge and journey with us. We've got a lot to think about and potentially add into our own business. You can find all the links in the show notes. Make sure you head over to honestecommerce.co to check out all of the other amazing content that we have. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review. And obviously, if you're thinking about growing your business, check out our agency at electriceye.io. Until next time.